0: we pray. Dear Lord, make me a nail upon the wall, fastened securely in its place. Then from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of thy face, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, the title of this hour's study is, The New Covenant, Christ. And I would like you to notice with me several Bible facts. The first is that God promises his people a new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 8. He said, I will make a new covenant. The second fact is, he says this new covenant will be with Israel. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 8. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Now Israel, my friends, is a spiritual term. This is the third fact I would like to have you notice with me. Israel is a spiritual term. In Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, you will recall that we referred to this in another study, where Jacob was crying out to God to bless him, and the Lord said, what is your name? And he said, my name is Jacob, meaning deceiver and god said look your name from now on will be israel meaning overcomer victor so the lord has promised a new covenant made to the overcomers point four this new covenant is based on better promises hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 what are the better promises the old covenant as you'll find back in Exodus the 19th 19th chapter was based on the promises of, of people. They told the Lord what they would do. We will obey you. Everything you tell us to do, we will follow. We will obey. But they couldn't obey. Man's promises are like ropes of sand. But the new covenant is based on better promises, God's promises. Notice with me under point five, my friends the power of God's promises under the new covenant, these better promises. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God's immutable, eternal, impeccable, never-failing creative word Creates in man a new nature, that's what it says. And this is new covenant Christianity. It isn't a do-it-yourself religion, it's what God does for us. Point six, this is not of works, it is of faith. In Hebrews the fourth chapter, verses nine to 11, the Lord through the apostle crystallizes, climaxes the great Sabbath truth. In the fourth verse of of Hebrews 4, he says, he speaks of the seventh day that God rested the seventh day from all his work. In the ninth verse, he said, there remaineth therefore a keeping of the Sabbath to the people of God. Then he comes down to verses 9 to 11, and he said, look, I want you to understand that when you have ceased from your own works, that is when you enter into his rest. You cannot enter into God's rest through works. It is righteousness by faith, faith in God. Going back to the first verse a moment, the first several verses of Hebrews 4. It says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should, should seem to come short of it through unbelief. For unto us, was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, speaking of the Israelites who came out of Egypt. But he said, the promise was of no effect because it was not mixed with faith. So they could not enter into his rest. God has given us a new testament, a new covenant set of promises. When man comes to the place where he realizes that he cannot save himself, when he realizes that by himself he cannot overcome evil, then he can look up in the face of his Creator and say, Dear Lord, I want to take hold of something that will give me a a new experience. The Lord said, My promises will do it. My promises contain my life. And my life in you is the hope of glory. It's not what you can do, it's what I can do for you. So if you'll just cease From your own labor, you can enter into my rest because I will do the work. It's righteousness through faith in me as you claim my promises. Then you can have complete deliverance. And this brings us to point seven. Victory is a free gift. The victory in Jesus Christ. The text, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. And it goes like this but thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory is a free gift. Eternal life is a free gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Everything that is needed for eternal life is a gift. The faith by which we reach up and take his victory is a free gift. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. He's already dealt to us faith. Repentance for sin is a gift. Acts 5, 31. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So all that we need along the Christian pathway until we end in glory land is a free gift from the hand of our Lord. We can reach up and in simple childlike faith receive it. His righteousness, His salvation, his eternal life, his victory, everything is in him, righteousness by faith. I'd like to give you an example of the reward of righteousness, of accepting the Lord's wonderful promises. And to me, this is very precious. When I was just a little boy, I heard of this experience. And, uh, of course, many years have come and gone since then. So I may not get every detail correct, but in a general way, yes. It is a story of my grandmother's home, her hometown. It was heard that a Sabbath-keeping tent was to move into that village. And a lot of rumors flew all over the place. The rumors were that these Sabbath-keepers were rather ambitious people and you better be prepared to protect yourself, for you might find there were hoodlums. So the tent was pitched, and my my uncle, my mother's brother-in-law, decided that out of curiosity, he would go over and see what these people were like. He was a big man. He was a courageous man. He knew how to handle a gun, and he took the gun with him. He said, I'm going to protect myself. Nobody's going to be able to take advantage of me. If these people are what they say they are, I'm just as quick on the trigger as anybody else. So he came to the tent, but he didn't go inside. He must have stood maybe 100 feet outside of the tent with his gun by his side. He was watching every movement that was made. Presently, a fine dressed gentleman stepped onto the rostrum in the tent. A lady stepped over and sat down at the piano. And the gentleman said, now let us sing together. And of all things, to my uncle-in-law's surprise, he announced a gospel song, a beautiful gospel song. And the congregation joined with him in singing songs of praises to Jesus Christ. You can imagine how that affected my uncle. Well, this doesn't sound like they're so terrible after all. They're singing gospel songs. I don't see them with any hatchets or any guns or any swords. I don't even see an expression of cruelty on their faces. They seem to be good people. After a couple nights, he left his gun at home. And a few nights later, he decided he'd come into the tent. And he would sit down and as he sat down he noticed and in fact he noticed it from the first night that they opened the bible and they read the gospel of the lord jesus christ and presented it and the power of jesus in the life of the human being the human soul that would accept my uncle decided that he would take notes night after night he took his bible now the sword of the Spirit instead of the gun. He took his pencil and paper, and he took down the notes. He listened most attentively. He had once been a Christian, but he had backslidden. He had lost the Lord. He'd really given up hope. It seemed that that there was no future for him, no salvation for him. Night after night, he listened attentively and finally prayerfully. And then the speaker came to the question of the Lord of the Lord's day. And my uncle thought, well, here is where I'm going to find that they're dead wrong. Because my uncle said, though I'm not a Christian, I know all of the Christians know why they keep the first day of the week. They keep it because Christ was raised from the dead. My uncle at this time, I think, had never read 1 Peter 3:21, where it says, By this figure, even baptism doth now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My uncle said, what? You mean baptism is equated with the resurrection? Baptism is in the Bible, and we are to follow it because... Jesus rose from the dead? You mean that the keeping of a day does not memorialize Christ's resurrection? And he studied. That man went home and for hours, he would study through the New Testament. Everything he thought he'd ever heard, he reviewed. He came the next night and listened attentively and prayerfully. And so it went on, day after day, day after day, and now. My uncle discovered that he had reached out in simple faith to the Creator of the universe. He was crying to the Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. My dear friends, ugly habits that had controlled my uncle for years melted away. He had become a new creature in Christ Jesus. In place of the profanity that he'd expressed again and again through the day, his lips were now shaped to the praises of Jesus Christ. In place of vile habits of eating and drinking and carousing, he found now his greatest joy was in witnessing to Jesus Christ. He said, I'm going over and share this with my mother-in-law. My grandmother, Mrs. Higby, my, my mother's mother, was a wonderful Methodist Christian. They were such conscientious people, they wouldn't sew a button on the garments on Sunday. Did they love the Lord? Of course they did. Had they surrendered their hearts to the Christ of Calvary? Yes, indeed. Were they covered by the blood of Jesus? They surely were. Were they they his children? Yes, a thousand times yes. But now my uncle had received some new light. It had changed his life. He wanted to share it everywhere he went. But he made a mistake, as many people do. When they receive more light, they don't always study just how to present that light in a humble way. He didn't mean to be proud, he was just thankful to the Lord for what the Lord had done for him. And so he rushed over to Grandmother Higby's place. And he said, look, we've been keeping the wrong day. And Grandmother Higby thought, what on earth has happened to my son-in-law? Has a man lost his mind? He said, Mother Higby? You just read the Bible, and you'll find that we're all wrong in keeping Sunday. And there he was going at it vehemently. <laughs> really, <laughs> it was not good. Grandmother Hagby saw more zeal than love. He he did have love, but it didn't come out that way. It came out in kind of sanctimony, in a kind of holier-than-thou way, and. Grandmother said, I don't want this man to talk to me anymore at all. She said to the children, when you see him coming, Leroy coming, you let me know if you see him before I do, and I'm going to get out of here. And when she'd see Leroy coming, she would make her way up to the third floor until Leroy had left. Day after day, Leroy would come all enthusiastic, telling about the new light that he'd received. And Grandmother Higby would make her way up to the third floor until he left. Sometimes he wouldn't leave for hours, and there she would sit there. But in the meantime, my grandmother was not satisfied to merely be challenged. She loved the Lord. She determined that she was going to walk continually with the Lord. And walk she did. And she said, I'm going to find out for myself. As she studied the New Testament, every text under the first day, the text under the Holy Sabbath day, she said, of all things, I have been wrong. I have been wrong in the day that I've been keeping. I'm so sorry. Lord, forgive me. From now on, I'm going to keep the seventh day. And now it was her turn to be belittled. Her husband, grand, Granddaddy Higby, said, If you keep the Sabbath, you're going to keep it all alone, that's for sure. He said, I don't believe a word of it. But Grandmother Higby said, I was God's child before I ever heard of the seventh day. I'm God's child now. I'm only walking in additional light as he sends it to me. I was wrong in the day I kept, but I loved the Lord. I was following him and I'm going to keep right on following the Lord. My mother was about 19 years of age. And mother said to her mother, I want to study this too. And she studied carefully, earnestly, prayerfully. And she said, of all things, Mother, Uncle Leroy, and you are right and I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus, and I'm going to walk in this light. I thought Sunday was the right day like you did, Mother, and like Uncle Leroy thought. But now that I've learned that it isn't, I'm going to walk in the light of God's Word. Then, the one who later became my mother, Emma Jane higby said, I want to go to a Christian school. Her father was incensed. He said, Emma, if you'll go to any school except a Sabbath-keeping school, I will pay your way. I will completely support you. But he said, Emma, if you go to a Sabbath-keeping school, you will pay your own way. My mother said, I want to follow the Lord and I want to learn more concerning His Word. And since I did not know all of the truth, I want to follow on, not that I may ever know all the truth in this life, but I want to follow on, and I want to go to a Sabbath-keeping Christian school. My mother went to Rome, New York, for they lived in Lewis County, New York. There was a school, a Sabbath-keeping school, that prepared people to become Christian workers in Rome, New York. As mother came to that school, she saw several other young people, of course, in the same school. Among them was a man by the name of Charles Saunders Kuhn. As they attended various classes together, as they attended worship together, as they sang songs to the Lord together, Charles Kuhn looked in the direction of Emma Jane Higby and he began to admire her. And as Emma Jane Higby looked in the direction of Charles S. Kuhn, she became attracted to him, his deep sincerity, his earnestness, his courage, his devotion. And you know what happened? They were married. My friends, to their union, were born seven sons. My father had been married before, and he had one son by that union, Arthur Kuhn. Now, his wife died about a year from the day they were married. He then went to Rome, Rome, New York, where he became acquainted with my, the one that was to be my mother. And as I said, they had seven sons. Five of us brothers became ordained ministers of the gospel. I was a minister of the gospel for years before I was told that before we boys were born, my mother would place her hands on her abdomen and she'd look up in the face of God and she said, Dear Lord, I want to dedicate this unborn child to you and to your service. I give him to your ministry in whatever way you see that you should use him. He's yours, Lord, he's not mine. Take him, Lord, use him as your instrument. When I was a little boy, very young, my mother would look into my countenance, and friends, I can't describe the expression mother said son you're going to be a minister god has called you to be a minister for him at the age of six as some of you heard me relate otherwise my mother told me again the story of calvary oh it was a beautiful story from the time that the little stars twinkled over bethlehem until jesus died that died that that ignominious death for me she presented the simple story of Jesus Christ I saw him in his ministry and then in the final trials and as I saw him going through those terrible cruel trials my heart was breaking and then in reverent imagination I took that famous walk with Jesus to Calvary and then I saw him extended between heaven and earth hanging there as my Savior. You know what would happen to a little six-year-old boy's heart? My heart was, was breaking. I said, Oh, Mother, Mother, as the tears coursed down my cheeks, Mother, what shall I do? And Mother told me how I could confess my sins to Jesus. And 1 John 1:9 says, He will forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Upstairs in a little farmhouse. I knelt down, a six-year-old boy with a 42-year-old mother, and I gave my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. It was a happy day. Mother often would say, son, I believe God is calling you to do a special work for him. Perhaps it was two to four years later that at the midnight hour, I dreamed that my brother, next older than I, was drowning in the ocean. An angry wave was between him and me, which precluded my being able to save him. I stood there in my dream thinking, I must do something to save him. I saw his pleading face as he looked at me. And as I was thinking, I must save him, I must save him, I awakened, all covered with perspiration the tears in my eyes. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Son, you have brothers and sisters all over the world who are sinking in the waves of sin. I want you to throw out the lifeline and save them. I looked up in the face of my Lord at the midnight hour, and I said, Lord, I don't know a thing how to do it. And I heard his thought voice, the Holy Spirit say, I know you don't know how but I will instruct you and teach you what to say. I said, Lord, if you'll do it, here is my life and all that I have and all that I am. My friends, as I'd walk down the little country roads, I would look into the houses on the right and the left, and I said, I wonder if they're ready to meet Jesus. My friends, that burden has never left me. And at my age now, I walk down city streets. I see people in audiences where I speak. And I say, oh, dear Lord, I want to see them saved in your eternal kingdom, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Dear Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak to them of your love, your tenderness, your beautiful salvation. And my friends, I thank the Lord. It all came about because that grandmother of mine, a beautiful Christian, was not satisfied with the light she'd already received. She didn't begin to compare herself with some professed Sabbath keeper and say, I'm better than they. She compared her life with that of Jesus Christ. And she said, He is the one that I'm to follow. Jesus, I will follow, follow thee. And we often sing, I will follow thee, my Savior, wheresoever my path may be. Where thou goest, I will follow. Yes, dear Lord, I'll follow thee. I thank the Lord for the resolution the Holy Spirit put into my mother's heart at the age of 19, I believe it was, that she would follow Jesus Christ no matter what happened. She would depend completely on him for the tuition, for the expenses needed to be in the Christian school. I thank God for a godly father who led us to the family altar every day that I was at home, morning and night, every day. He led us in prayer and often at the noon hour. My father loved the Lord. He was a human being. He made many mistakes as did mother and all of us, but he loved the Lord. And I look back with reverence on their dedicated lives by which I learned of the blessedness of Jesus Christ. Friend, I invite you to look up in the face of Jesus and claim his forgiveness. Claim his cleansing, their free gifts. Claim his eternal life through Jesus. And then claim from him the power of obedience. No man can obey Jesus except we love him. And the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Friends, if you've never given your heart to Jesus before, would you at this hour